Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Welcome to episode 216 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And I need to tell you, I have missed you. Missed you so much. Thank you for being so patient and sending me words of encouragement. If you're new to the Love Food Podcast, well, welcome. I'm so glad you you have connected with me. And I'm usually a weekly show. But, you know, this whole global pandemic you may have heard about and living in isolation as well. Well, it has kind of sent my life in a tailspin just because I'm having to navigate my partner at home and my two young children, teaching them in some sort of way and trying to still do work. So I did push a pause button on Love Food and a few other projects just to give me some space to probably have a couple temper tantrums of my own and just try to figure out how I was going to make it work. So thank you for your patience and your encouragement. Oh my gosh, they meant so much to me. And if you are new to the Love Food podcast, what you're going to hear soon is a letter from a listener just like you who has a complicated relationship with food. And the person is going to write what we call a dear food letter. And the dear food letter goes back as far as they need to, maybe when their complicated relationship with food started as a child and with their first diet, and they hash out all the details. And then me and sometimes a guest, after we read the letter, we go through and try to 
maybe piece together some options to experiment with to move forward. And then here's the cool part. At the end, food writes back and gives a message to sum it all up and to help a person continue to move forward. I hope you can relate to this letter, especially if you are affected by a chronic illness like diabetes. And for the month of May, 2020, all of the episodes are gonna feature letters from people who are experiencing different types of complicated relationships with food while also living with diabetes. I think it's really important to shine a light on how shameful diabetes is for many people because I think a lot of people are told that they're in control of why they even got it and they can change it. It's such a complicated experience. And this letter today in particular is one that really goes deep into how complicated it is. I hope you find it helpful. But before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode of a Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. If you experience PCOS, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, you may have heard about diabetes because 40% of people with PCOS also experience diabetes by the time they're 40. Yeah, that's a lot of people. And this part of the connection with diabetes and PCOS is not an individual's fault. It's just part of the chronic side of PCOS. And PCOS is a condition where people are told they have to diet in order to manage their condition. And aha, I don't agree. (laughs) I've spent probably the last 15 years now finding new ways to work with PCOS that are not focusing on the scale. They're not focusing on diet. Rather, they're helping people to consider their own lived experience and different tools to help them promote health and continue to move away from diets and heal from diet culture. You can check out all the details at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. Do you own a social justice-informed business? I would love to give you the first opportunity to advertise on the Love Food Podcast. I am looking for sponsors for my show in 2020, and I would love to give you the option to be a part of it. Check out all the details at juliedillonrd.com slash lovefoodsponsor. All right, one more thing I want to mention before we get to this episode's letter is I would love to get your letter to food. If you're new to the show or you've been listening to it forever, maybe you've already submitted a letter. I still want your letter. In particular, I would love to hear a letter about your experience with gestational diabetes. Maybe you've had it, maybe you have it right now, or maybe you're scared to get it. I would love to spend some time answering letters that are covering the um, experience of gestational diabetes. It's one that I know many people I work with individually experience, and it can be really complicated. And I would love to bring on some experts to help us just gather more tools as we are moving along our food peace journey. So if you have a letter to food, send it on over to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you didn't catch any of those email addresses or websites, they're all in the show notes. You can just push up right now on your listening device and you can get to it. Or if you're listening to this on my website, juliedillonrd.com, you can just uh, scroll on down and you'll get to all of the links. Okay, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter. Dear Food, I can't remember the last time you and I were together and I didn't feel guilty. I'm 42 now, and that makes me feel really sad. Until recently, 
I hadn't really weighed the consequences of what withholding and restricting you or what binging with you was doing to my body and ultimately my soul. Years ago, in a group therapy session that I hated going to, I listened to an alcoholic describe what he did with alcohol. After work, he would binge drink beer until he passed out, only to wake up and do it all over again the next night. That's what I did with food. About six months ago, I was diagnosed with diabetes. I burst out crying in my doctor's office. She told me gently that it wasn't my fault, but I don't believe her. I have done so many horrible, shameful things with food. When I was 17, I went to my family doctor with an article from Cosmo that described PCOS. I have this, I told him confidently. He laughed me off. After much pushing and shoving, horrible internal ultrasounds, humiliating facial hair, and losing the hair on the top of my head, I was diagnosed at 23. When I received the diagnosis, I got on the scale and then the nurse took my pulse. Ah, an athlete, your pulse is so low. I smiled and nodded. Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a 3-in-1 capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I was in the midst of a full-blown eating disorder and living on Diet Coke, cigarettes, and Melba Toast. For se- seven years, I restricted my food intake. No one knew. I was praised for my appearance and, quote, willpower. I really wanted to die. After a big breakup and a big move to a new city in grad school, things began to change. I stopped working out around the clock. I started to eat three meals a day and snacks on top of that. Suddenly, food became such a comfort. It helped with the stress of working and studying. It helped with the loneliness and confusion I was feeling. 
feeling stuffed felt better than falling in love. For 10 years, I cycled through the binging and self-loathing. I gained weight. I got depressed. I was put on antidepressants. I gained more weight. I got more depressed. Sometimes I wonder if the sugar shock I would give myself mimicked the same dopamine surge of my medication. For a long time, I put myself on a roller coaster ride of hormones and sugar crashes, sugar comas, heartburn, indigestion, anxiety attacks, and deep depressions. Food has been the constant in my life. So here we are, lots of years later, trying earnestly to understand why I binge eat and how to stop it. Doctors have sent me to nutritionists who has described how important portion control is. It makes me feel angry. I feel so ashamed. I can't tell anyone I'm diabetic. If I eat X type of diet, my blood sugars will stabilize, but nothing about that diet feels good to me. I'm so jealous of people who can eat in balance and harmony and not in the extremes. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to feed myself without hurting or denying myself. I don't know what feels good anymore. I'd like to address my diabetes through my food because I believe it is the source of the issue. I wish my doctors had given me a blood meter when I was pre-diabetic so I could have started the learning process then. I wish there was more information about the emotional side of PCOS and more research into emotional eating. I'm trying to see how this as a message my body is sending me. How can I listen now with kind ears and compassion? Sincerely, trying to understand why I binge eat and stop it. Hey there, letter writer. Thank you so much for your note. And I so, so, so appreciate it because I don't know if you know this, but there are many people listening, maybe even you listener, who can relate. Maybe they don't have PCOS or maybe they don't have the exact same kind of history, but the way you're relating to food in conjunction with your diabetes is so relatable to so many people. So again, thank you for it. And I want to help you. And I know you mentioned you really want to find a way to treat your diabetes through food since that's why you think you are where you are with food. I do want to gently and kindly and compassionately just offer up that maybe food isn't how you got where you are, that food isn't the reason why you're experiencing diabetes and the complicated ways you're relating to food. I don't think it's food's fault. I think it's really, really messy. And I want to just dive into the mess. Let's sift through it. And you get to decide what you're going to take with you and which data is going to be important for you to hold on to as you put the pieces back together and decide the best way for you. One thing I do know, though, diabetes is something that is still largely genetic. It is something that, without a doubt, research has found it's mostly genetic, passed down through families. And then also, for the most part, it's determined by social determinants of health, not the physical determinants. What does that mean? Well, how much power we have in the world is going to be a greater predictor for things like diabetes and other disease more than how many fruits and vegetables we eat or how we move our body. I know that can be a really big pill to swallow. 
it can be quite a buzzkill as a dietitian to really let that sink in, that individual behaviors are such a small part of health outcomes, but it is what it is. And we have to really recognize that so much of this is not on your shoulders, letter writer. And for anyone listening, so much of your health experience is not because of the behaviors that you've partaken in over your lifetime and will in the future, but rather how much power you have in the world and also how as a society we are changing that, how we are providing people more access to healthcare and just power in general. So as you're moving forward, what I would encourage you to really consider is continue to gather data on your own lived experience and your own set of health circumstances, and prioritize healing. So the next few minutes I'm going to do is just sift through more of that. And in particular, I think it's important to really spend some time on PCOS. And if you're new to the Love Food podcast, you may not know that I talk about PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome a lot on this show. And so if you are new to Love Food, search through the archives especially if you have the condition or if you think that you maybe do. It may help you connect with some new tools. But, you know, PCOS is this condition that starts in our hypothalamus and leads to this hormonal dysregulation that leads to some physiology that is quite different. There's a lot more inflammation and there's a lot more insulin in the body. PCOS has consequences outside of reproduction. Um, I know for you, letter writer, you mentioned getting ultrasounds. And for many people when they're in their 20s and diagnosed with PCOS, they're told to just come back when they're trying to have babies, which what are you supposed to do if you don't want to have babies? And does that mean that PCOS only affects your ovaries? No. There are three different types of consequences with PCOS. Reproductive is one of the consequences, but there also are metabolic consequences and psychological consequences. So people with PCOS often have high circulating insulin. It's actually estimated to be 75 to 95% of people with PCOS have these really high insulin levels. And you know, people with PCOS who end up having diabetes, well, it may be different than people with diabetes without PCOS. There's a different path there. And part of it is these really, really, really high insulin levels, super scientific, right? (laughs) But the insulin levels are much higher than people with type 2 diabetes um, without PCOS. And that can lead to these really intense cravings for carbohydrates that I have a feeling are a part of your binging that you're experiencing now and probably in the past. But before we move on to some some other things that I'm thinking about with your eating disorder history letter writer, I also want to mention the psychological consequences with PCOS because you mentioned your experiences with um, depression. And because of the hypothalamus being the starting point for PCOS, another side effect of it is um, altered mood. So many people experience anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, ADD lots of different mood disorders. And so part of your lived experience is in your biology. And so it can be really hard to move forward and is different. Like if you're comparing yourself and your relationship with food and your body to someone who doesn't have the same lived experience and doesn't have the same physiology, I hope you can appreciate it can be different. It very well 
is going to be easier for many other people to seem to have their shit together. And of course, like what appears to be shit together most of the time is not anyway, but I digress. I want to spend some time talking about your eating disorder history. And in in particular, you mentioned having a history for about seven years with anorexia nervosa. When I read your letter, I was so glad you brought it up because unfortunately, your experience is really common. I work with a lot of people who have anorexia nervosa, but live in a body that is not considered one to have anorexia nervosa, which is total crap because a person can be any size and experiencing anorexia nervosa. And all too often, there's an assumption when someone gets um, a workup from a nurse or a medical doctor and they see a low heart rate in someone in a higher weight body, that that must mean that they're an athlete. Why else would they have a low heart rate? It would be really important. And I think it a, a challenge for anyone who's a healthcare provider listening. If someone has a low heart rate, instead of just assuming that they're an athlete and that's why they have bradycardia, instead ask how their eating's going or how they're moving their body, if at all. And um, also do some other things like getting orthostatic blood pressure or um, the blood pressure tests that where someone is sitting and then standing and then walks across the room and seeing the difference because then you'll notice the difference between a athletic heart and one that is a starving heart. So letter writer, when you were experiencing that many years ago, you had a starving heart. And what that tells me as a dietitian who works with people with bradycardia is that you needed actually immediate medical attention. You immediately should have been taken to the emergency room and you immediately should have been taken to a place where you could have gone through medically supervised nutritional rehabilitation. And I'm so sorry you weren't given that. Your body went through this severe restriction for a really long time. It didn't get noticed. And if anything, all that torture was being praised because of our way in our world right now where we value certain bodies over others, the the way the world's way of considering smaller bodies to be more valuable than larger bodies really harms you and harms many people. And many people even who are listening right now are experiencing that. And I'm really sorry. You, it should have been taken seriously. And that may have made a difference in how you're relating to food now because you were starving for seven years, at least. It may have been more too. And so when you were moving away from restriction, as you transitioned to, you moved to a different city and a different um, day-to-day because you, I think you said you were going to grad school, um, I'm so glad you moved away from that black and white kind of restriction and started to move toward eating more appropriately. That was so wonderful. But again, it's something that you shouldn't have had to do on your own. It's something that um, people like me as a dietitian and therapist will do with people. And oftentimes it's it's not unusual for people to need twice as long to go through the healing process as that as they were in it. So for 14 years, that's not a, an unusual length of time for people to um, recover from an eating disorder. And um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I wish it was different. I wish you had been given adequate, dignified, comprehensive care in that moment. So why do you binge eat now? Well, I I think it's really complicated. And I don't think it's just that food is a comfort. 
but food is a comfort for all of us. Um, that that phrase emotional eating is hard for me to say, although it's one that I used to say a lot 20 years ago before I really understood how our relationship with food is supposed to be emotional. But emotional eating is supposed to be comforting and pleasurable. And so as food has become more comfortable and soothing, the reason why you may not be able to stop eating, I do think is really complicated. And part of it is because it's supposed to feel good. And I hear from your letter, the kind of denial and wanting to have that, not wanting to experience that pleasure. But then there's another part of you that is trying so hard to be compassionate and wants to be kinder. And I think that part can grow as the other parts heal. And when we consider how to help your other parts heal, it's important to remember your physiology. That's why I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about PCOS for you. And anyone maybe who's listening who has diabetes and not PCOS and binge eats, you're going to have a very similar experience. It may not be quite as chaotic. It may not be quite as primal for the carb cravings or the binges, but it's going to feel really similar, especially if you also have high circulating insulin levels with your diabetes. And when we appreciate how our physiology contributes to how we experience the craving to binge, the crave, craving to soothe, how that is just our body telling us that it is running from a lion right now. And it really needs us to prioritize eating that food in front of us. I hope that allows you more frequently to turn to that part and be gentle and to respond with compassion. When we're having those primal cravings to eat, to practice, and I do mean practice with lots of like, I know it's going to take more than one time um, to really practice trying to give permission and work towards unconditional permission. And for some people, that will be pretty accessible. After maybe a few months of trying and practicing, they may find that really clicking. But for many people who are listening, they may find that is going to take a long time and why I think that is, is because people who are in higher weight bodies are going to find that they're getting messages to not have unconditional permission to eat, that they should feel ashamed of their body. And so if you're working on healing, but the world is not giving you that same feedback, it can be really hard and it can take a lot longer. And so I hope for you, letter writer, and anyone who's listening who can relate to this letter, I hope you're connecting with some support. If you have access to seeing a dietitian that specializes in working with diabetes from a weight-inclusive, health-at-every-size perspective, that would be so awesome. I'm going to be talking to three dietitians over the next three episodes, um, talking about diabetes and treating it through a weight-inclusive lens. And those are all people that are seeing clients right now. There's also going to be a link in the show notes for you so you can maybe find someone near you. Um, if you don't have access to a dietitian, I hope you can jump on Instagram. I'm going to give you some links in the show notes for people to follow, including some of the people we'll be interviewing. In particular, I would encourage you to follow someone on Instagram. Her name is Brianna Campos, and her handle is Body Image with Brie. I bring her up because part of what you're describing, letter writer, it sounds like grief to me. And you didn't mention that word, but that's what I was picking up on, especially as you were acknowledging all the time it's been spending worrying and thinking, um, 
just sorting through all of the complexities with your relationship with food and your body, you're appreciating that now as a 42-year-old, years have gone by and they're not going to come back. That's all. That's something that's really important to honor and respect and let yourself sort through and another thing to prioritize to heal. Body Image with Brie, um, the person behind that account, does a lot of talking about this, the grief work of the time it has taken to process through an eating disorder or to move away from diet culture. And if your body's not looking the way you want it to, or if the world tells you it's not as valuable. She has so many amazing prompts and stories regularly that I would encourage you to connect with. So my hunch is that the binge eating is continuing because of your complicated physiology and the the type of restricting that you were experiencing for so long that your body never got a chance to really fully heal and go through that nutritional rehabilitation that I was talking about. And this grief, I think those are three big reasons why. But then also keep in mind that something that kind of goes through all of this is fat phobia. I think our world's pervasive pursuit of weight loss as important and as a part of health is a, another big reason why the binge eating is still there. And I appreciate for you, letter writer, and anyone who can relate, this is not something you can dismantle on your own. This is not your burden to carry. It's mine, it's other listeners, it's healthcare providers, it's medical doctors, it's people in power, it's our politicians, it's people who make decisions on who has access to healthcare, what kind of school we get. Um, I'm going to leave out lots of different things and, 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 and. It belongs to all of us. It is not yours. It's so much bigger than that. And so why do you binge eat? Well, we need to rally together to help you. So what can you do on your own while we're trying to dismantle this big, huge, oppressive system? I wish I had a magic wand that helped you to feel less shame about your diabetes. I get the sense that you have so much shame that you caused it, that there isn't a way for your brain to really reconcile how it's not your fault. I know the person who diagnosed you told you that, and I, I agree with that person. Having diabetes doesn't mean you've been a nutritional failure. It's not that simple. I wish there was a way I could wave a magic wand and we could just remove that shame. I think it'd be clearer on the next steps for you. So one more thing. There was something that you mentioned in your note about experiencing jealousy. For those who can live with food and stay kind of in this place where it's like a happy medium, they're not in those extreme restrictions or extreme binging, that they kind of just went with the flow. I can see your pendulum, if you can kind of picture a pendulum swinging back and forth, I can picture that kind of violently swinging back and forth right now. And I hope you know that nobody has a pendulum that is rock solid in the middle. Nobody. And just in case you're wondering, I don't like to put my lived experience and my body in this because I don't want to prioritize that. 
but I know people will assume that since I'm talking about this all the time, that my pendulum is rock solid in the middle. And no, (laughs) none of us are. We would be robots then. And thank God we're not robots. We are not. We are humans and we are messy and we feel pleasure with food and that's all normal. So your, your pendulum will never be happy medium. That would be worrisome actually if it was. And instead it will always swing. But that violent swinging back and forth is exhausting. And for you to move forward, I would encourage you to recognize how much restriction is still going on There's a part of your physiology and the culture we live in that's promoting that swing. And I would assume, because of other people I've worked with, as we dove deeper, a part of binging is restricting. And sometimes people don't always see restriction and um, the emitting of food, but more in, this is a binge right now. I'm going to binge on this. This is the only time I have a chance to eat this. And they may feel like every time they're eating, it's a binge, which to me is a restriction then if every time we eat feels like a binge. There's a part of you that is kind and compassionate. And that part I know is alive and well. I don't know if you've ever watched Never Ending Story. I just watched it a few days ago with my son. And <laughs> he's um seven. And it was really fun to watch as an adult. I hadn't watched it in 20 years. But thank you, Amazon Prime, for having that available. And I forgot about it at the end. If you've never seen Never Ending Story, this will make no sense whatsoever. But I'm hoping you let a writer have seen it. But at the very end, there's just a grain of sand left of this world. And in order for it to come back, there just needed to be one tiny little grain of sand and lots of hope for it to rebuild. And there's a part of you, letter writer, that is so in line. There's, it's this affirming voice that you have that let you know about that popular diet that I didn't name. <laughs> I know you mentioned it in your letter, letter writer, but for you, the listener, just know that I took it out on purpose because I don't like naming diets and giving new ideas out there in case it would be new. But nonetheless, it's a popular diet that this person named and your body did not like it. There was something about it that it just didn't align with it. Um, I don't really know what it was, but there's a part of your self that is affirming. I would call your affirming voice. Some people call it your adult voice, but there's a part of you that says, "Uh uh-uh, this is not the right way. And that's the part that I would encourage you to continue to try to connect with. And that's where the healing will build. And so if you can picture holding that grain of sand like they do in Never Ending Story and continue to hope and to wish and continue to let yourself feed the part that rejected that diet, lean into it, I would be curious, really curious why it didn't like it. I think that's a strength. I think it's a really important part because that part of your body, that part of your brain, that affirming voice is considering your data. Your data is important for you, the listener. I know we have lots of research and there's lots of people who are saying this diet is helpful for diabetes, this way is better, and this you should do this and that. But your data is the most important data. Your lived experience is the most important data moving forward. 
if diets haven't worked for you or if restricting something hasn't worked for you, and when I say worked, I mean long-term and promoted health, emotional and physical health, then that's all you need. You can demand another option. You can continue to lean into some other ways. That data is the most valuable, and I would encourage you to keep trying to listen to it, let a writer. And by doing that, by being curious about what it's trying to tell you, what it um, considers important, the more you can connect with that, the kinder your ears will get, the more compassionate your thoughts will be. You may have this kind of foundation level that always thinks of food in that extreme way because of our diet culture and fat phobia. But the second response could be that compassionate response. Oh, I really hope this helps. And I've missed talking to you. And I look forward to sharing with you the next three episodes that are all on diabetes and and helping our relationship with food. I see food has written back, but before we get to that, this episode of a Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. Get to all the information at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. And remember, if you are a social justice informed business and want to advertise on the Love Food Podcast, check out all the information at juliedillonrd.com slash lovefoodsponsor. All right, so we're going to get to food's letter now. Until next time, take care. Dear trying to understand why I binge eat and stop it. We have been through a lot. And most of the time, the pain has not been acknowledged. We see how that has harmed you. We wish you really knew it's not your fault. This is complicated and not your own personal burden. Prioritize healing and reconnect with your affirming voice. It can be trusted. Consider your own data. It is vital. We know you're grieving what has been lost, and we hope you give yourself permission to heal so you can move forward at home in your own skin. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care.